Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Fundamentally, what customer experience really means is it's all the ways that we interact with people. The situation was unprecedented, but the lessons are timeless. This episode of the CX series here on B2B Growth is the first conversation I recorded as the coronavirus pandemic came on. Our guest is Samantha Stone, author of Unleash Possible, a marketing playbook that drives B2B sales, and founder and CMO of the Marketing Advisory Network. She shares tips on customer communication channels, recent research on chat experiences, live chat versus chat bots, when customers need and want to talk to a human, the power of simple video, and more. My name is Ethan Butte. I host the CX series. I'm chief evangelist at BombBomb and co-author of the best-selling book, Rehumanize Your Business. Here are some helpful insights and great stories about connecting and communicating more effectively with our customers. When you're 60-some episodes into a podcast, you're still full of firsts. And we've got a new first today, our first return guest. After a variety of B2B marketing, product marketing, and marketing communications roles, our guest founded the Marketing Advisory Network, where she serves as CMO. She's also the author of Unleash Possible, a marketing playbook that drives B2B sales. Her first appearance with us was on episode 14, which we titled Balancing Automation, artificial intelligence, and human relationships. She's now back to talk about customer communication channels, including the chat experience, the power of video to keep us connected even when we're physically separated, and generally crisis communication, all through the lens of the unique circumstances we all find ourselves in with the coronavirus pandemic. Samantha Stone, welcome back to the Customer Experience Podcast. Well, I am so honored to be your first return guest. I have so enjoyed our conversation last time and I'm looking forward to having another one again today. Yeah. And uh, just a quick note before, a couple things before we get going. First, you do such a nice job of staying in touch and you uh, were the, I guess unintentional creator of the episode with David Meerman Scott by sending a copy of Fanocracy over. Uh, And so I hope folks check that one out too. And, you know, before we get into customer experience, I think let's just set the scene a little bit. We're recording this on March 16 of 2020. You're in Massachusetts. I'm in Colorado. Where are you right now with the coronavirus COVID-19 situation? You know, I'm I'm glad you brought that up because we were talking about before the show, Ethan, I actually don't think really we can talk about anything else. I think the reality is that when there are moments of crisis like we're seeing today, and it's widespread, it's global, it's affecting everybody, to pretend it's normal course of business is just not realistic. People can't think about what they might need in six months from now or 12 months from now. What they're thinking about right now is what do I need tomorrow? Maybe what do I need this year? I'm happy to share sort of very transparently opening a little bit about myself. I have a lung health condition. The lung health condition makes me extremely vulnerable to the COVID-19 disease and virus because of some of the injections that I take to treat that lung condition which suppress my immune system. In addition to that, should I get any respiratory infection? In including this, I am likely to be one of those people who has a very, very severe reaction to that. And so what it's like in my household right now is a lot of precautions. My poor son made the mistake of ordering Burger King through Grubhub. And here I am, before you open the door, tell them to leave it on the ground. You've already paid. Here's gloves. Pick up the bag. You know, I'm really, we are, you know, all joking aside, we are being very, very cautious right now. But we are going outside, we are limiting guests, we're doing no travel, but we're communicating. And one of the great reasons I'm excited to be talking to you about this during this time is that video is a way 
that we're staying connected, not just at work, but also with family. I have a mother and father who drove back from Florida after several weeks away. And because of their age, we're not visiting with them right now. And it's really hard to not give my mom and dad a great big hug. But we did do some video chatting that almost made us feel just a little bit better that we're still connecting with each other. That's good. Yeah, there is no substitute for real in-person connection and nice warm hugs. They will come again, but it won't be uh, anytime very immediately. We did the same thing here. We still have all the stores and restaurants are still open, although I know they're closing down elsewhere. And we're all working remotely at BombBomb. And of course, all the events and everything are canceled. And we'll kind of get into some of the consequences of that, I think, through the conversation. But one thing we did spin up uh, within 36 hours of saying, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's do it, is we started offering BombBomb absolutely free to all educators uh, so that they could stay face-to-face with parents, students, peers, and other people important to that process. And uh, as a parent whose son is hanging out at home right now, they just said two weeks. Basically, they doubled spring break and they'll reassess but there's not a chance he's going to go back to school physically in the next you know, two weeks when this, when this initial period is over. So it's a really interesting time. It's highly, highly fluid. And as business operators and uh, practitioners, I think we need to be, as you already offered, highly sensitive to where our customers and future customers are and where our employees are just kind of in a headspace and in a legitimate, direct, immediate experience. So let's get into and let's start where we started last time. It's where we always start here, which is, you know, what thoughts do you have at a high level on on customer experience? What does it mean to you? What are some of its characteristics? You know, for me, customer experience, um, there's a couple of ways of looking at it. So one way of looking at it is a structural within an organization. What's the team that's responsible for creating an experience with our um, the people that we sell to and that we serve? And that is, you know, organizationally done in many different ways by different types of organization. But fundamentally, what customer experience really means is it's all the ways that we interact with people. It's how they find out what we do and how they come to our website. It's the tone of the conversations we have with them during a sales process. It's when they we deliver the service to them, right? So whether like me, I might go in and I might be running a workshop or I might be running a meeting. How I do that is part of the customer experience. If I'm selling them a physical item, how it's packaged is part of the customer service. When there's a problem, how we respond, it's it's everything about how the people we serve interact with us. That's what customer experience is all about. I really like it. I think um, you know, it's it's a little bit trite or cliche to refer to uh, Simon Sinek. Start with why, but you know, this you're you're in that middle layer of how. Uh, in the second part of that. And that how is something that is so much more difficult to replicate or steal or mimic than the what. The what is very easy to mimic. And uh, and the how, I think, is, you know, what is uh, the first really good chunk of differentiation in the experience that we're creating. So you already said it's not business as usual, and it is not. It's not life as usual either right now in the United States or anywhere else on the globe. So just to kind of get it going, what are some of the implications that you see immediately from a business standpoint of uh, social distancing and um, you know going remote and, and all the other consequences that we're all experiencing right now? I'm glad that you asked that question because there's a lot <laughs> that's going on. So some of the things that are affect marketers, for example, are um, I got in my Facebook feed a person who was promoting an in-person event on March 24th. No, just no, stop, right? So that was a really obvious means. Well, you know, look, I could have chosen to just scroll on past that um, advertisement, not respond, but I actually had a really negative reaction to it, right? It felt very tone deaf for me. I know that's not the spirit. Technically, they were targeting fewer than 25 people. They were abiding by the rule of law, but I didn't feel like they had my best interest at heart. So we as marketers have to look at all the things that we do on a day-to-day basis and how we're communicating and make sure we're wearing a sensitive lens that acknowledges it. The other thing that we have to do is you have to realize that our the way we serve our audience is going to change. If I am someone who works in an office and I'm now working remotely, do I have appropriate call routing? For example, I have a friend who works for Legal Aid. She's an amazing attorney who dedicates her life to service. 
And I said to her, well, just phone call people. Like, don't show up to the hospital to meet them. What are you doing? Like, I get all this anxiety. And she pointed out to me that she can work from home, except the translation service that allows her to communicate with people whose English is not their first or dominant language is not working in her home phone. It only works at her office phone, right? So they'll solve for that. They'll fix that. But in all of our businesses, we have lots of things about what we do that we have to think about what happens when the people who can be remote are remote. We also have to recognize that there's lots of things that can't be done from home. You know, if you're a first responder, if you're a healthcare worker, if you are working for an essential city service, if you're keeping our water and our power running, if you work in a grocery store, God bless you, because you have this incredible, (laughs) difficult job and a stressful situation, and we need our food supply chain to not be interrupted, right? We don't think about all the stuff that has to happen there. So we as leaders need to acknowledge the fear that people have around that, the concerns their family members have around that, and we need to do what we can to protect them. So for those of us who have a service that could maybe protect them, we should be making that readily available. We've seen some great things. You gave an example earlier of providing educators video access at no cost. We've seen other people make other kinds of conciliation. We also need to take care of security. The reality is when people are working more remotely or they're working in more social distance situations, they are maybe not following all the secure protocols. They're filing, sending files back and forth in email and they're throwing things on you know, portable drives and they're exposing us. They don't have the same networks and firewalls. So we need to make sure that we're thinking about the infrastructure to protect the data of the people that we're serving in this situation. And so sort of the threat about all of this is simply using our good sense to think through the scenarios that our customers are going through, to be sensitive to how we communicate, and to be consistent and transparent about what we are doing with our customers. And then on the flip side, we have to accept and be ready for an entourage of people who are trying to cancel reservations, reschedule meetings, transform whole conferences into virtual events, who are just not sure how to make all these bits and pieces because we've never gone through something like this on a global scale. I've certainly done this in crisis management, for example, in New Orleans when we had those you know, terrible hurricanes or we had flooding in Texas last year. But when we think about the scale of this, it's unlike anything that we've done. And so we have to be ready to have questions that we don't have time to answer be asked. And we have to be patient with it. These are the times we're talking to a human is probably better than talking to a machine, right? If I'm worried, I need, a, I need rubbing alcohol to clean my medical equipment. This came up on a Facebook group recently. And before I go to the store and I send somebody to get my rubbing alcohol, I want to make sure it's in stock and I call the store. I need to talk to someone who's going to be able to tell me whether it's in stock, tell me whether I'm going to be able to get it in stock, maybe recommend places where we could have it, be put on a wait list, whatever those things may be, and come together and interact with people in a way that is sensitive to, even if we feel like business is normal, because I'm sitting in the same office I sat in three weeks ago and six weeks ago, it's not normal for the people who are calling me and asking me questions. Yeah, really, really good. There's a lot there. The couple things I want to touch on one is, you know, when you talk about uh, transparency, the, a couple words came to mind there, and it's it's visibility and accessibility. And so, you know, all this is up in the air. Is this two weeks? Is it a month? Is it eight weeks? Is a, is a number that was just thrown out? Like, it's so, so fluid. And so I think keeping communication channels open for our team members right? As we try to figure out what is something that we didn't anticipate, we need to close this loop, we need to fix this. You gave a number of really good examples of just workflow issues that we need to pay attention to. And um, and then you also teed up something that I I spent a lot of time over the weekend doing, which is undoing all of my travel plans. So I have a, a, a high school junior at our home and, you know, we have, we have a, he's a, he's a school kid, loves school, high performer. So we're like, we had a bunch of college tours scheduled between now and next fall. And, you know, so we've been to a few schools already, but the first big trip here over spring break, of course, is canceled. So we had to cancel personal plans, professional plans, et cetera. And so I found myself in a zone that I know you have a lot to recommend and offer around, which is 
the communication channels that are available to us as consumers. And so, you know, I was on, I was in emails, responding to some emails. I was in some mobile apps. I was on some websites. Some was front facing, some I was logged into my own account. And I was on the telephone intermittently across these experiences. And in one case, they took me from an email where to cancel, they still wanted to charge me 50% of, of the charge. And then I called and they said, oh, okay, no problem at all. You don't have to pay that. We'll send you another email. Take a look at it. This is for a rental car. Take a look at it and just reply and see what your circumstances are. And then we'll just use that on file and, and then just cancel. Well, it turns out it didn't even work out that way. So at some point I need to call them back because their reply to my email, which said, entire trip is canceled. The schools are not accepting us to visit the campus anymore. We're just not doing the trip. It's not the prudent thing to do. And we can't even execute the whole reason we're going in the first place. So we would like a, you know, a refund. And the reply was, well, there isn't a, there is not a national mandate not to travel. So we can't do that right now. You know, this is like, be still my heart. Like, look, I'm sensitive and I understand that there are financially vulnerable companies out there that these changes impact. And I believe that our government and our communities and our customers and our partners need to find a way to keep people solvent through this. Having said all of that, the answer and solution is not to piss off every customer. Even They shouldn't even have made you ask the question of sending the emails. We are in lockdown as a globe right now across much of the world, certainly across the United States and the campuses. Every college student right now is on forced break. My son tomorrow is going to empty his dorm because even though they haven't officially said it's going to be six or eight weeks, it's, I think everything indicates it's going to be, and we don't want to have to go back. If school reopens, we'll bring his stuff back. I'll like to have that problem, right? But we're, we're going to go empty it. At least we can get his books and things for online learning. So they, the right customer service and customer experience should have been to proactively communicate with you. We suspect your travel plans have changed. If we're not correct, please let us know. So A, default the, the default should be the most likely scenario somebody is going through. And they shouldn't make you go through the hoop of saying why your plans have changed because we know the answer to that question. Your plans have changed because everything is in a slowdown mode as we as a country respond. Now, I don't blame the individual person who had to read that email. Clearly, they haven't been given a corporate policy that gives them the fortitude to address that. They could have a policy that says at this point, we actually can't afford to do refunds and maybe we're not in a financial situation to do that. Then they should, they should at least give you a credit towards future or they should have some dialogue with you about that situation. But they defaulted wrong. They asked you to jump through hoops incorrectly. They have a policy that's going to make you uncomfortable and unsatisfied with it. And instead of delivering bad news to you in a conversation where at least the empathy can come through, they didn't do it. For example, I canceled my housekeeper. Let me tell you, this was a painful decision for me to make. I'm in a situation where I could afford to pay her. So I said that I'm going to just Venmo you the money at least for a couple of times. She's an individual and I'm fortunate and grateful to be able to say that I can afford that. But if I had to call and cancel, I wouldn't have sent her a text message saying, I'm canceling and I'm sorry, I can't pay you. I would have picked up the phone and at a minimum left a voicemail where she could hear my voice and hear my sincerity and understand that I feel bad about it. We can't always do the thing that's going to make the customer on the other side happy, but we can do the thing that makes them feel we're human and empathetic to the situation we find ourselves in. Yeah, just allow them to feel like they've been heard and that they're appreciated. I see you. I understand your circumstance. I want to meet you there. Let's talk about what we can do. I thought the airlines in general did a very nice job of the two things you specifically recommended, which is default to what is the most likely situation, which by the way, this applies at all times, not just in times of crisis, yeah. uh, but default to what the expectation is. And then 
make it really, really easy. All of them are, hey, and in, I forget which one because I had flight schedule. I'm a United guy on points mostly, but because mm-hmm. uh, they fly out of Colorado Springs. But uh, you know, I had flights on Delta and American also scheduled just so I could go direct out of Colorado Springs, which is not a major airport. So I mix up my vendors. And uh, they all did a really nice job of proactive communication. And I, I forget which one it was, but they said, hey, don't call us. Here's the deal. You know, you have no obligations right now. You have up until the end of the year to reschedule, you know, the value of this flight. And it's like, so they're like, it's really kind of this whole flatten the curve thing, but you know, in a, in a very acute customer service situation is like, don't call us right now. You're going to hate it. We're going to hate it. We got your back. Don't worry about it. You have months to figure it out. And so what now what I need to do is make a little spreadsheet to say, you know, all the flights I canceled in a little open credit because they're spread across various apps and websites. But um, they did both of those things really, really well. That's the perfect example of how to use technology because what they needed to free up their staff for was the person who says, my son is stuck in London and I need to get my kid home. Help me do that. So look, technology can help us communicate to the default step and they made it very easy and airy empathetic so that the, when the things that are emotional things that I need to respond to, I can make sure that my phone staff is available for them to be able to. I agree. I think the airlines overall have done a nice job. My son reluctantly was on a flight this week. It was a short domestic flight from Rochester. I was really uncomfortable situation, but I needed to get him home. And I was comforted by talking to the airline about the cleaning thing. So sure, I got the email everybody else got. But given my scenario, I also called the local airport and I asked them to give me, you know, sort of the lay of the land. And I felt they were honest and sincere and well-trained because we could have had the option of him renting a car and driving back or something like that. So I think you're right. There is so much good happening right now and so much that I've actually been pleasantly surprised by, but there have been pockets of opportunists that are sort of feeding in to the frenzy and the fear and the discomfort or just making us go through a whole bunch of extra hoops. Nobody needs the extra stress right now. Let's make it easier on ourselves. Yeah. So let's talk about one of the channels that I know you have some thoughts on, which is chat. And we have kind of two ways to go about that, live chat and chat bots. You know, last time we talked, we talked about the transparency of of automation and AI, although a lot of that just to cover ground, episode 14, go back and listen to it is really, really good. So we won't we won't do too much of it again. But you know, this idea that so much of what we're calling AI is actually automation. In these channels, you don't have what you have on the phone or even what you have with video is kind of this empathetic thing. We talked about transparency and not acting as if you're a person, if you're actually a bot. But you know, in this context of our conversation here today, what do you think about the chat experience today as regards the customer experience? You know, first of all, I think the chat experience, both live and uh, you know, AI-driven, are part of the toolkit that we should be using. I think they're incredibly useful. I did a study where we talked to uh, about 550, I think is where the number ended up, but over 500 consumers. And we very specifically asked them when they want to talk to a machine, when they don't, what their expectations are. We gave them scenarios and asked them to say, if you read these three scenarios, how would it change? Would you buy from that person again? How do you, what do you think about their brand? And it was startlingly clear For everyday operational things, talking to a machine instead of a person is perfectly fine and often preferred. I want to know if you're open. I want to know, you know, what's the balance on an account? What time is that appointment I scheduled again, right? I don't actually need to have a back and forth. I want to ask a question and get it answered. When I have a moment of concern, upset, frustration, do not give me to a machine. It actually makes it significantly worse. And it doesn't just make it significantly worse in the moment that I'm in right now. It makes me not want to interact with your brand prior. The other thing that it surfaced very clearly is don't pretend you're a human if you're a machine. Because when we get into scenarios where I can tell that the trans they were more the same bad chat experience that was clearly a little robot symbol and like not a real person as it looked like a picture of a person, right? 
The same exact chat script was way more negatively perceived in a long-term relationship I want to have with the brand when it was I thought it was a human or were pretending to be a human than when you were just clear that's a robot. I forgive the robot's ignorance because it's a robot. And I'm okay with that forgiveness. It also became very clear we need escalation patterns. So it's particularly in scenarios like this where we all have questions. You're running around trying to figure out how I'm going to respond to events being canceled. And I'm trying to figure out where I'm supposed to be or get home from wherever I am or adjust a meeting from wherever I am. When I hit a stack point, I need to be able to talk to an actual human being. And our automated technology needs ways to identify that I'm getting that point. When we put that chatbot up and we simply say, here, have a, um, you know, here's the phone number to call. It's one of the most frustrating things that can happen because you're asking me to leave the medium I chose to use, in this case, a chat window, and go find my phone, dial a number, and re-get in a queue for somebody to answer my phone call. And even if the phone call gets resolves my issue, we've created extra steps for someone at a moment that's the worst time to create extra work for them. Yeah, putting the burden on the customer, even the perceived burden, in some cases, really not that much more work, but if it feels that way... The customer's experience is the experience. The customer's experience is a matter of fact. We need to respect it and appreciate it. In this channel switching situation, I did a solo episode just based on some of the learnings of the first chapter of The Effortless Experience by Matt Dixon and a couple other folks. And... um, that's one of the like, being treated like a number and channel switching are two of the most frustrating things people can experience. Really interesting survey results, by the way. Love that you're just doing that work. So in Unleash Possible, you advocated for video like extensively. I forget which chapter. It was somewhere toward the end. And of course, we already touched on it a little bit here. And I think what it does is takes a little bit of that, uh, what we were talking about, that empathy that can be delivered through a voicemail or through a phone call and just steps it up to another level that if we are sincere in our message, whether it's, I'm really sorry for your experience or I'm so excited for you or congratulations, you just hit a milestone or whatever the message is, that if we're sincere in it, that our bodies and our faces and our voices all tell it in a way that just simply can't be communicated any better except live in person. And so in light of our conversation here, maybe set up your your initial ideas about video, whether as expressed in Unleash Possible or since you wrote the book, and in the context of what we're talking about here today. Yeah, you know, I really believe that video is critically important because not only can you better see how I'm responding to something or I project my surprise, my sincere apologies, my excitement, my, you know, information, but equally as a person, I can see the other person on the other side and I can read their body language and I can respond and adjust to what I'm seeing on the screen. Just kind of like if I was in a room with a person, it's a little bit different, but it proxies it very well. So I think video is a critically valuable tool and we use it in one-on-one conversations. I by default turn my camera on for pretty much every conversation. Now, there's a couple exceptions. Sometimes bandwidth issue is an issue for a day or a moment and that's fine. I do do a podcast that's audio only because that medium is meant for someone while they're doing something else like driving and, and, and that's okay. But the, my default is video on. But we also have to remember that video is a really powerful tool for all different kinds of content, long-form content, teaching something, interacting with someone. It's a great tool for direct mail to open something up and actually have a video welcome message instead of just another message. And there's just a whole bunch of things that happen. One of the things we have to remember and remind ourselves of is that video doesn't have to be perfect and it doesn't have to be always polished. You know, I have on a scarf and I threw some lipstick on because I love you, Ethan, and I knew you were going to be videotaping me, right? But I'm still comfortable and I'm still not overly prepped. I didn't have hair and makeup come in and do this today, right? And I don't need to because the whole point of video is actually to make people comfortable with each other. 
And it is a unique medium by which we can do that. And if you are not yourself on the video, whether it's a direct mail piece you're sending out, whether it's a little note from a salesperson, whether it's a high five to somebody who did a great job, it doesn't matter. So just, you know, we just got to get good at being comfortable. And I'm always thinking about what can I do for video? I'll give you a really good example of how I used video to affect a business outcome for myself, actually, not that long ago. We ran a um, marketing strategy workshop, my business partner and I. And it was the first in-person workshop that we'd done for a classroom setting. We run workshops for individual clients all the time. And I've taught big workshops at conferences that other people have hosted off and off. And it was the first time that we'd done it. And we assumed the math that half the people who registered wouldn't show up, right? Like kind of typical event type of thing that happened. But I was determined to break that trend. And so I think the thing that gives us the most... It was a good class. So I'll say that. And I think people wanted to come and we had a good venue and we had good material. So we did all of that. But even when you do that, you still have drop off. So what we did is as soon as somebody registered, I sent a video message to them that said, Hey, congratulations. So excited you came. Here's what to expect for the day. You don't need to prep. And I, you know, and it's, and it's like, if they don't show up, they've disappointed me a little bit. Right. And then, and then the day before the event, we said, Hey, can't wait to see you tomorrow. And gave some other like little stuff. And we had 20, I think we ended up having 20 people registered. One person got called away on an out of town trip last minute for an urgent work and couldn't show up. Every other, and, and they sent this hugely apologetic, I can't be there note. Every other person came and came on time and stayed the entire time. We're good, but it's not just because we did a good workshop. We took the time to connect with people who had registered in this very intimate way. And I really truly believe that the video played an important role in getting that show rate to be higher than it might otherwise have been. It's really good. That's the social reciprocity piece is is a really good one and an undervalued one, but you referred to it twice. The first one is this idea that they're not just letting down some organization that has an email signature and some details in a typed out email. They're letting down Samantha. I can't let her down. And in the case that I have to, this is the second part, I'm going to be profusely apologetic. Whereas otherwise, it's just so much more difficult to disappoint or reject a human than it is uh, you know, a wall of, of faceless digital text. And um, we've seen this too, by the way, Using video to increase show rates on appointment set, demos set, and these other things, you know, not just a full day workshop, but even like lighter weight stuff, even Zoom calls and those types of things. We had a pretty large, one of the top 10 franchises in the United States, um, their franchise sales team uses BombBomb. And uh, they were able to increase show rates from 56 to 78% on uh, one of their initial calls. And so when you just like walk that out, if you just think about a traditional like, sales funnel, generically speaking, the ability to take the initial conversation and set the appointment is one thing. And then to actually have the appointment show and to be able to bump by you know 20 plus points, the show rates on that call. I mean, just think about all the downstream consequences. And all it is, is what, you, what we've already observed, which is, it's just human connection. It's just this, ah, oh, yeah, I, you know, I can't let her down, or I feel more connected, or I feel more trust toward the situation. I feel more clear about what to expect because it's been communicated to me, not through my own tone of reading this, this otherwise like toneless text. I mean, a really, really good writer can infuse text with a little bit of tone that people can feel, not just read and think, but actually feel. Video, you just start feeling immediately. Yeah. You know, that's a perfect example of how to apply this at scale. And that's a huge difference in your business. Think about that. A 20% plus swing in the people who show up for a demo. Like that's big. And I do think social reciprocity, as we've been talking about, is part of it. I also think it shows it's going to be worth my time because they're saying things that are relevant. I'm likely to maybe skip through and read an email like logistics update. I probably scan. I also sent text, by the way, because not everybody watches video. So we did that. But also, I think there's this component of I'm important. They took time to send me a message. I'm, I'm important to them. And so therefore, there's a piece of this 
I'm going to want to go there. I'm going to want to see this. I'm, it's going to be worth my time. They're articulate. They have something relevant for me. So I love the application of applying to show rates for demos. I think it can be used for all kinds of things. Ethan is the best at this. Every conversation with Ethan, big milestone stuff. He always sends the, the most gracious of videos afterwards out and is a real living example of how to build that connection with people that we may never have been in a room with before, but I can I, still feel like it, right? Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. And a really good point um, that this, this gift of your time and attention is something that can't be fake. Like no one knows how long it took you to write that email, but everyone knows that you spent 42 seconds explaining that thing just for you. Like when it's... Yeah. You know, you can do evergreen or you can do truly personal. When you do it truly personal, that is just the ultimate, like, this gift of my time and attention. Now, no one's going to say that consciously and say, my gosh, she took 42 seconds out of her day to say that. But I do get all the time, thank you so much for taking the time to answer my question in a video, right? And it's like, I just saved myself like five or 10 minutes. It would have taken me a lot longer to explain it by typing it all out. So there's just a number of really, really good benefits there. At the risk of time and at the risk of throwing a complete curveball into the conversation, it was recently... I'm going to do it anyway. Um, it was <laughs> this is why I love you, Ethan. Do yeah. it. Good. Um, it was recently International Women's Day. And uh, on LinkedIn, you gave a shout out to several women that you've worked with and really respect. You helped give away some free subscriptions to Innovation Women. And I just wanted a quick take from you on, as, as someone who has obviously built a, a successful career as a woman, like why in 2020 are we still in this gender inequality situation or, and, or what are some seeds of hope? Just like, give me a quick take on what's the scene and where are we going and, and what are you encouraged by? Yeah. You know, I wish I could tell you why we're still in this situation because the reality is in my entire lifetime, laws have been in effect to make this relatively easy in parts of the world that I work. That is not true in large parts of the world. There are still real inequalities in um, legal structure, in the rights uh, that a woman has versus a man in, in big parts of the world. And so part of what holds women back is cultural and legal context that we take for granted in the United States and in a lot of European countries and, and many places around the world. We just take it for granted they exist. They don't in many places. So that's a fundamental infrastructure that needs to be fixed. More day-to-day -day operationally oriented, I think we don't do a good job of rewarding people of different approaches to solving things. I'll be quite candid. As a woman, I quickly got promoted in my career and I quickly had success and I didn't hit a lot of direct glass ceilings. But I believe there's a real reason for it. And I believe the reason for it is I acted like a man. I did the things in the environment. And now not all men act the same. So don't, you know, everybody don't interpret that. What I mean was I was really assertive about what I wanted. I was super aggressive about forcing myself into conversations. I'm not known for sitting back and being quiet. That makes me a strong woman, but that doesn't make me every woman. There are strong women like that. And we as communities and as business leaders need to be back to listening to all voices, including quieter voices. So, you know, I think there's inequality, not just in men and women. I think there's inequality in a whole bunch of contexts around different thought process and different things. But the female and versus male inequality is robust and consistent because all of the infrastructure to address it isn't there. We're not taught the same things. We're not supported in the same way. And it's real and it exists today. So I do have hope. I personally have had a very wonderful journey, but it hasn't always been easy. And I've had to... I've been a working mother with young children. And the first day I started a job, the president of the company looked at me and said, I did not want to hire you. And I didn't want to not hire me because of my skills or my experience. I was a perfect fit. They didn't want to hire me because I had an infant and I lived 45 minutes from the office that we were required to be in. And they were worried that I would have to leave to pick up my kid at daycare. And literally, that's the exact conversation we had. I shouldn't... That should not have been a conversation. Now, I was very fortunate. We made a decision as a family. My husband chose to stay home with our kids and he took 
the child care issue off the table for this particular organization, but I shouldn't have had to, it was the right choice for our family anyways, but a lot of people don't have a choice to make, or they make that choice because they feel like they have to. And so I think just fundamentally inequity still exists. We have to take an active stand to change that. And days like International Women's Day gives us the opportunity to surface those challenges and to move forward and correct them. I love seeing all these programs that are designed to elevate female voices. I love seeing more young girls follow pursuits in sciences and maths and other things that have traditionally been very male-dominated. And quite frankly, it's not just the right thing to do. We have to do it. And I'll give you a really real example. We have artificial intelligence technology that is building algorithms that fundamentally decides what we see, what we don't, so who we target, who we don't. If a woman's perspective and the only people who are coding that are men, and it's only trained on it, they will inherently miss things about a whole, a half of the world's population. Just like if it's all young people versus old people, or if it's all people of one culture versus a different culture, we have to have that kind of diversity. So if we don't do things to encourage young women to move into these sciences, we're going to find ourselves in some very tricky and dangerous situations that are not because people are evil. It's just because we all have the context that we have. And so I am excited and I am optimistic because the fact that we're even having this conversation even would never have happened 20 years ago in any of my conversations. So I see that as a positive sign, but there's still a lot of work to do. Good. I'm really glad that I asked. I think um, a couple things and it's see something, say something. I think that's one way that anyone listening to this in a workplace environment can start to make the cultural change. When if like, it's one thing for that gentleman that you were referring to earlier to think these things, but to say it openly says something about the culture inside that organization. And so when you see something borderline or obviously inappropriate, just say something, question the person who said it, question the person who did it, just make them think twice to create this awareness. It doesn't have to be highly confrontational, but letting things fly, we're all complicit in, in the consequences of letting things fly. And, um, I do think that uh, just general awareness of, I mean, it's hard because it's unconscious bias. And so making the unconscious conscious, you know, is, is a little bit oxymoronic or a contradiction in terms or something. But the more aware that we are, uh, the better off we are. I am going to, even though you already did this once, you think Jeff Holling for opening up an early stage of your career in a really welcoming way. And you gave a shout out to uh, the Hyatt at B2B MX for uh, accommodating uh, your health condition that you described at the top of this conversation. So in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to answer both of those questions again, because it's been like 10 months since we've talked. Um, But uh, but before we do, for folks who are listening, um, again, be sure to give a listen to episode 14, Balancing Automation, AI, and Human Relationships with Samantha. And if you want, check out episode 63, Creating Fans Through Human Connection with David Meerman Scott. Again, one of the reasons that, that... I mean, it, w- it was not this transactional, but this is the way that just, you know, being thoughtful and gracious works out. You were kind enough to think of me when his book, Fanocracy, released. You had a signed copy sent to me. And I was like, I, I like her. It just reminded me of like, I need, to, I need to talk to her again. And we've been in communication anyway. But um, anyway, episode 14 and episode 63, if you enjoyed this one, you'll like that one too. So Samantha, as we wind down... Take a minute here to thank or mention someone who's had a positive impact on your life or your career. Oh, gosh. I'm so fortunate. There have been so many amazing and wonderful people. I won't um, thank Jeff Hoey again, just because... Oh, Hoey, we'll, sorry. We'll spread, that's okay. We'll spread the love a little bit around that. But you know, I, one of the people that I, I'd love to recognize is Katie Martell. I'm not sure that she would think of herself in this way. So if you care a lot about equality for women or truth in advertising in general, a lot of things, Katie does some amazing work around pandering and cause marketing and, and calls out a lot of companies who do it wrong. And she also happened to edit my book, She also happens to be a person that I've been fortunate to know for a lot of years. And I I really have to give her credit because she makes me want to be a better marketer every day. 
And she is the kind of voice that we need out in the world. You know, it's easy to pay to turn things pink on International Women's Day that, you know, that probably isn't going to serve your business well. And she holds us all accountable. And I think we need more of Katie Martell's in the world. And so I'm really deeply grateful for her inspiration, but also very practically for, you know, her help. I'm not sure that Unleashed Possible could have ever happened without Katie. She and I, um, she kept me honest. She kept me true to what I wanted to say. She knew me well enough to know when I was going astray from my my purpose and and pulled me back. And uh, anybody that can make you look smart and talented deserves a big high five. And she certainly gets a shout out from me for that. Awesome. And we are all fortunate if we have one or more people in our lives that make us want to be better today than we were yesterday. Just to get that, like I have that inside me, but to get that support is is so helpful from other people. So I love hearing you describe her as someone who makes you want to be a better marketer. How about uh, a company that you really respect for the experience that they deliver for you as a customer? That's an excellent question. I've had some really good experiences recently. And I've had some really bad experiences recently. I'll give you one of the examples that I, that I like to use because I think it really is demonstrating of a commitment this company has made to their customers. Wayfair. So I ordered chairs for my office when my office was coming. And I was being a little obsessive about everything because this was this brand new workspace for me. And I wanted everything to be perfect. And the chairs came and I didn't love them. They didn't look the way I thought they would. And I was super disappointed in them. And they looked a little damaged. And you know, I called up Wayfair and I'm prepared to sort of go to battle over why I need to return these chairs. And I want different chairs. Not only did they like graciously with no hesitation say, no problem, we'll take back the chairs. I'm sorry you have that experience. You were looking at these other chair designs that are very similar that were out of stock. Would you actually like those instead of me replacing the one that looked a little damaged when I got it? I'm like, yes. So good through all this and I'm excited and I'm like, okay, so how exactly do I box these back up and like get them to you? It's a chair. You know, I'm not going to stuff it in an envelope and take it to Kohl's to be returned like I might do with some of my Amazon things. You're like, nope, you got some place you can donate them? Like, I'm sure I can find the donor. They're like, keep the chairs, donate them. So they made the whole experience positive for me. Not only did I get replacement chairs that I'm in love with and I just adore, they also let me keep the old chairs and not have the hassle of returning them. And I got to donate them to something that I feel good about. So all of this stuff came together in a way that I think is wonderful. And I will say that I think Wayfair's phone service has this kind of care. I don't think they've translated it well to their email services and their chat services. So I um, caution you know, that experience with them. But on the phone, their team is phenomenal. And I really value... And I keep shopping there knowing that I'm going to be able to have this kind of positive experience should another issue arise, which doesn't... Most of the things I buy at them are, are great. But occasionally it does happen and I know they're going to take care of me. It's really good. I mean, I can't imagine. I, I always worry about that, even on a much smaller. I mean, and you referenced that. Like, I worry about that with a smaller thing. Like, ah, should I save this box? You know, it's got a one-year warranty. I live in a very, very small house, so saving boxes so that I can rebox something is not on the top of our list. It's like straight to recycling. And so, uh, anyway, I love what they did for you there, Samantha. This has been great. I wish you good health and continued success, especially through this really interesting interesting and odd window that we're in. If folks want to catch up with you or they want to check out uh, Unleash Possible or anything else, where would you send people to follow up on this conversation? Yeah, thank you. I'm going to give you that information, but I want to say one thing before we wrap. I'm, I hope Please. you don't mind, Ethan. But as we're going through this amazing point of uncertainty, we don't have all the answers to all the questions that are going to be asked of us and that we're going to ask ourselves. And the right thing to do here is just acknowledge the uncertainty, be as open and transparent you can be, don't share false information, and don't make promises you can't keep. This is the really hard one. Don't say we're going to do something we're not certain that we can do. So it's okay to say, I don't know. It's okay to say, we're going to try. I've been seeing a lot of those positive communications. So please do that. I love for new readers of Unleashed Possible. Every you know week, I get new messages from people with 
with information and comments and questions, and there's nothing more rewarding than that. Unleashed Possible is available on Amazon, both as an audio book, as well as a regular good old-fashioned physical book, which I like still the touch and feel. Ethan's got the copy there, which I love. And Paul Schmidt, my narrator, did an amazing job narrating for me. Even one little sentence about being pregnant, which, you know, that's a whole nother story and we can talk about another time. If you'd like to get a hold of me, please do. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. It's Samantha Stone. Really accessible. My email address is samantha.stone at marketingadvisorynetwork.com. And I really... I give that out freely because I want people to reach out and ask questions. And there's just nothing better than helping your ideas come to life in a particular organization. So look forward to meeting all your listeners. Awesome. It's funny. I used to be a little bit tentative about giving out my email address as I guessed on in conversations like these. And then you realize if, if someone, A, if they made it this far, they're obviously into it. And B, if they're really into it, I want to talk to them, right? It's a privilege. Yeah. And so uh, anyway, you can also reach me, Ethan, E-T-H-A-N at bombbomb.com. Hit me up on LinkedIn, Ethan Butte. And I, everything that Samantha just said, uh, I will include. I write up these episodes at bombbomb.com slash podcast. I also drop in some video clips. So I know there were some visual moments in this one. I'll do my best to try to find those and include them uh, just to kind of bring the episodes to life. So I appreciate everyone for listening. Samantha, I appreciate your time so much today. Yeah, thank you so much. And hey, if you do nothing else but connect a still that doesn't show me like up my nose or something, I'll be happy. I don't know what it is, but everybody collects that one thumbnail that you don't want. But um, thank you to your listeners for listening. This is a time of uncertainty and I'm so grateful to have a collaboration with you to talk about and just acknowledge it. And to remind us all that this is about human connection. Video can play a very important role for us as we're going through this moments, weeks, possibly months of uncertainty and come together as a community. Well said. Samantha's advice and success story around video are so powerful. If you're not yet using simple personal videos to connect and communicate with people, I encourage you to do so. And if you want the definitive guide to this process, pick up a copy of Rehumanize Your Business, hardcover, digital, or audiobook. Search Rehumanize Your Business at Amazon or visit bombbomb.com slash book. That's B-O-M-B, B-O-M-B dot com slash book. My name is Ethan Butte. I co-authored Rehumanize Your Business, and I thank you so much for listening to the B2B Growth Show. I hate it when podcasts incessantly ask their listeners for reviews, but I get why they do it because reviews are enormously helpful when you're trying to grow a podcast audience. So here's what we decided to do. If you leave a review for B2B Growth and Apple Podcasts and email me a screenshot of the review to james at sweetfishmedia.com, I'll send you a signed copy of my new book, Content-Based Networking, How to Instantly Connect with Anyone You Want to Know. We get a review, you get a free book. We both win. So you've got an idea for a business, the store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out, everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 